chapter 21 and 22 tonight. Last night, we, uh, excuse me, last week, last Sunday night, we looked at 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20. Tonight, I want to look at 1 Samuel 21 and 22. And uh, Bill, could you do me a favor, possibly? Uh, could you check and see if that monitor back there, that nursery monitor, is turned on? Maybe even check and see if the other part is where Jackie is. I know there's been a couple of times where it hasn't been on, and she's wished it was. But yeah. But First uh, Samuel chapter 21 and 22. What what if it were necessary to break a law? in order to keep a higher law? What if it was necessary to disobey man to obey God? And what if we ever face an enemy that has the power to end our lives and yet must take a stand for God and do what is right, even at the risk of our lives? These are the type of situations we find in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22 tonight some of the situations the characters in these passages find themselves. And we see four dangerous and deadly times that are faced by David and those who aid him in 1 Samuel 21 and 22 that teach us that we should trust God and do what is right no matter what the risk, leaving the results to God. So again, in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, we see that David and those who aid him go through four dangerous and deadly times that teach us how we ought to trust God and do what is right, no matter what the risk, leaving the results to God. So the first dangerous and deadly time in 1 Samuel 21 through 22 is going to be in David's receiving help from Ahimelech the priest. We're then going to see the second deadly and dangerous time is David's escape from the Philistines when he pretends to be insane. The third deadly and dangerous time that we'll look at is also David's obeying the prophet Gad in returning to Judah in chapter 22. And then in the remaining part of chapter 22, we'll also look at the fourth deadly and dangerous time in which Ahimelech, the priest, stands up to the evil King Saul, even at the cost of his life. Now, again, the first dangerous and deadly time we're looking at is in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 9, as David receives help from Ahimelech the priest, in which Ahimelech rightly helps David, despite per the personal cost and risk to Ahimelech. 1 Samuel Chapter 21, verse 1. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And so apparently, Anab is where the tabernacle is, is, is then set up, and not, not far from Jerusalem. And the priests are there. Verse 2. And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, the king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee. 
and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hollowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days, since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hollowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Ella. Behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. Going back to verse 2. Notice that David does tell a lie, a lie that he probably regrets later because it, perhaps he's telling it not just to protect himself, but to protect Ahimelech the priest from if he's questioned, from knowing that he's helping David and leaving the priest completely innocent in this and not involving him in David's sin, but nonetheless, it's a lie. He says that he is about the king's business. Last week we saw... In chapter 20, David leaves Jonathan. Jonathan has just shot his arrows into the field, and they've had that plan that if he tells the boy to go beyond, go further, that means David's life is in danger from King Saul, and he is to flee. And then he sends the boy away after giving that signal, rather than the other signal they had agreed on, which would mean that David was safe. And then Jonathan, you know, as we saw in the, in the last verses of that passage, David and Jonathan said their goodbyes, you know, confirmed the covenant that they had and the loyalty that they would have to each other. And then David leaves. Apparently, David leaves in such haste that he's not able to bring provisions with him and his men. They don't have the food they need for a long journey. They don't have weapons, apparently. So David comes to Nob where the priests are, where the tabernacle is. And he asks Ahimelech, the priest, for help. And he, he offers this lie that he's on the king's business. And that, so it's a secret mission is what David is telling him, and he can't, he can't let him know what, 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 he's, what he's doing here. And they're supposed to be on a journey, and they need some food. And be, be, since they're on this mission from the king that seems to present you know, an excuse for uh, David to receive the holy bread. This is mentioned in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. 
Now, of course, David shouldn't have used that excuse, but David did need help as he's fleeing for his life from King Saul. If you'll turn with me for, to Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, we see this referenced by Jesus. Yes, uh, technically, due to the Levitical requirements, David was not supposed to eat this bread. David and his men, only the Levites were supposed to eat it. That was what was required by the Levitical code, the Levitical law. But a higher law exists, and that is love thy neighbor as thyself. And to love David as himself, Ahimelech is, may give him this bread in this case, because David needs it. And, of course, one more excuse David offers is that he's on a mission for the king. So there's a more of a godly purpose for it. But there is a godly purpose for it, but it's not necessarily one David's presenting. Let's look at Mark chapter 2. Now the Jews looking back, the Jews at the time of Mark chapter 2 would have excused David for this. They would have seen this as this is something that was okay, as we see from Jesus' words here. But Jesus' disciples, when they're going through the field on the Sabbath day and pluck some of the the, the grain and eat it on their way through the fields and Jesus is approached by for that saying why do your disciples violate the sabbath in this way and let's look at mark 2:23 through 28 and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the sabbath day and the disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn and the pharisees said unto him Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him? And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. So he's saying here, he's making the connection between him and David. David, as the Jews looked back to him at this point, they'd say, okay, well, David had a need, and that purpose, and that pur need and purpose was that higher calling that would, would excuse him to eat this bread. And in such a way, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And in such a way, he is excused to allow his disciples, because he's over the, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, this, although it may, in the letter of the law, violate the law, the way the Jews understood it, it doesn't violate the spirit of the law. And there's that higher law that supersedes that lower Levitical law and tradition as the way the Pharisees were applying the Sabbath day there in Mark 2. So you see, Jesus himself refers to this event here in 1 Samuel 21. And Ahimelech the priest allows David, as long as they are sanctified, as long as they have kept the Levitical code and they're not unclean. 
even though they're not Levites, he's going to allow them the exception. As long as they're clean, like the Levites are required to be clean when they eat this bread, they may eat it. And David says that is the case, and so they do eat it. But notice verse 7. We'll come back to this character in verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. He's going to come back up. Edomite, that's a descendant of Esau. And so he's, he's not an Israelite. And we're going to see his ambition, his bad, evil character, his betrayal of the priests later on in chapter 22. We'll come back to him. David has a lot of some things to say about him specifically in Psalm 52. We'll come back to that. And then verse 8, David said unto Ahimelech, and there is not here under, under thine hand a spear or sword. So he asked for a spear and sword, and they have kept Goliath's, Goliath's sword here. But notice the end of verse 8 sometimes is misquoted for in, in, a, in a wrong way. And we have to be always careful that we rightly divide the word of God and that we take scripture for the purpose that's intended and not just take the words of scripture and apply it to any given situation. And here's one example of that, that you sometimes might hear. And that is the end of verse eight, because the king's business required haste. Some people will, will quote that in regard to doing ministry for God. They'll say, well, the king's business requires haste. But that is not a right application of this, because first of all, this is part of David's lie. He's not on the king's business. Second of all, it's not talking about God, the king. It's talking about King Saul, uh, who is not God, not, not even close. All right, so this is not a, a good application. In fact, we could argue by the, these two chapters in the chapters that we'll look at further in 1 Samuel in the coming chapters, that David has has to learn patience. He is talking about taking haste here because the king's business required haste. And so he uses that as an excuse to why he was not prepared, to why he did not have weapons with him. However, having haste is not how God works. God works patiently. God waits for man to repent, both leading up to the flood, he waited a long time for the ark to be built until he finally sent the flood. He waited, he waited till a long time before Jesus, the time is right and Jesus comes. He's waiting a long time now since Jesus died and Christ returned, waiting for many more to repent and to be saved. He's very patient. And he, you see his workings with Israel, the patience that he has there. And David is going to have to learn patience in a difficult way because David has been promised the kingdom but yet David has to flee for his life, and he's in waiting. And he writes a lot of psalms regarding some of the feelings he goes through. We looked at one of those Wednesday night. We looked at one a few weeks, uh, few weeks or a month or so ago, a couple months ago, in a Sunday morning service as well. Come back to that one, Psalm 34. But David has to wait to become the king. He has to learn patience. You know, if God worked in a hasty manner, then David should already be the king. 
You know, Saul has already proven he's not, he's, he's disobedient to God. But God is going to use this trial in David's life of having to flee for his life to build character in him and teach him to trust God. As you see here, David's coming up with his own ways still of how to protect himself. He's lying to the priest to protect himself. And we'll see in verses 10 through 15, David uses another matter that I don't believe God would have told him to do. He comes up with another way to protect himself. The second dangerous and deadly time in this passage is David's escape from the Philistines by acting insane. Let's look at verses 10 through 15. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Ten thousands of who? The Philistines. Where is David? With the Philistines. And whose sword does he have? The Philistine, or the person fighting for the Philistine, Goliath. He has his sword, and he killed him. Verse 12, And David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them, and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate, and he let his spittle fall down upon his beard. By the way, their beard was so esteemed in this culture that no one in his right mind would desecrate his beard by letting his spit go on his beard at this time. It's talked about in another passage how to embarrass uh, some ambassadors, the beards were cut in half of those ambassadors, and they were sent away shamed. That was part of the shame. Verse 14, Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see, the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman? Ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so he's, David escapes in this way. If you turn just briefly to Psalm 34, and keep your finger, of course, here in 1 Samuel 22, where we'll pick up. Psalm 34 deals with this time in David's life. If you go to just, just before verse 1, these are actually, these headings, not, I actually have two headings. One is not inspired, it's just the, um, the reference Bible's title for the psalm. And then you have the actual inspired inscription for the psalm. Right before verse 1, Psalm 34, it says, A psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. And speaking of Achish, who is a descendant of Abimelech, and Abimelech may have been the family name, just like Pharaoh was for the kings of Egypt, for Achish, king of the Philistines. Abimelech had been king of the Philistines back in Abraham's time. And Isaac. And you see here, this is a praise for deliverance. David credits the deliverance that he has from the Philistines here to God. And, and ultimately recognizes, you know, it's God is the one in control that did not allow him. Therefore, you know, David really didn't have to act insane to escape because God could have protected him. But God still did protect him in spite of himself. Not because he acted insane, but in spite of it, I would say, argue. God protected David in that situation. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. 
The third dangerous and deadly time in this passage is David's obeying the prophet Gad and returning to Judah. And look at that in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 22. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. When his brethren and all his family father's house heard it, they went down hither to him. And every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and they were with him about 400 men. It was one of, the, one of the sources I looked at mentioned how this is similar. It's not necessarily a type, a type being a formal picture that's mentioned, because to be a type of Christ, it should be mentioned in the New Testament as being so. But you do see a, a certain picture here that David is the rejected king, the rightful king who will one day be the king of Israel. And for this point in his life, he has been anointed king, he's the rightful king, but he's been rejected, and he's being pursued, he's being persecuted by King Saul. And he gathers men to him, men that um, are also the rejects of the world, of the country there. In a similar way, Jesus was rejected by his people being their rightful king. He is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the rightful king of Israel in the line of David. And yet he's, he was rejected as the Messiah, as the Jews Messiah. But one day he will be the king. He will reign on earth in, the, in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant promised to David of an everlasting kingdom. And Jesus is that fulfillment ultimately. And for this time, until that time, from Jesus' you know, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, to now we're in the church age where Jesus is gathering people to himself. And, and Christians are like these rejects that follow David. And we're following the rightful king who has been rejected by the country in general at this time, the world in general in our time. But he will return one day as the king, as we mentioned even this morning about the rapture and how one day he will return to rule in the second coming, which we'll look at next week perhaps or when we get to First Thessalonians 5. But look at verse 3 now. David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know the what God will do for me. Notice it's Moab that he takes his parents to because he understands that his family's lives are in danger from King Saul. King Saul is a madman oppressed by this evil spirit trying to slay David, even throws the javelin at Jonathan. So David is trying to protect his family. God doesn't tell him to do this. So it's not necessarily the right thing. Uh, doesn't, he's not condemned for doing it. But notice he takes them to Moab. David is the grandson of Ruth, a Moabitess. So David is not the first one who went to Moab at a time of trouble from his hometown being Bethlehem. His you know, great-great-grandfather, Ahimelech, took his family. And one of his sons married Ruth and then died there in the land of Moab. And then Ruth returned with Naomi, Ahimelech's wife, back to Israel and later would, would marry Boaz, and Jesse would be their son, and then David the grandson. So there's a connection there. So maybe that's why Moab 
allows David's family to come there as shelter because they have they're, they're related they, ha- they have that ancestry of Ruth the Moabitess perhaps that's a reason for this so verse 4 he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with them all the while that David was in the hold and verse 5 and here's another reason to question whether David should have been hiding in Moab and the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Herath. And so David does obey, even though it's more dangerous, it seems, at this point to be in the land of Judah than to be in Moab. David does obey when the prophet of God, Gad, tells him to go back to Judah. He does that. He does what is right, in spite of the danger of going back to Judah. And so that is the third dangerous time in this passage, is David's going, obeying God through Gad and going back to Judah. The last, the last dangerous and deadly time in this passage is Ahimelech standing up to the tyrannical evil King Saul in 1 Samuel 22, verses 6 to 23 at the cost of Ahimelech's life. Verse 6. When Saul heard that David was discovered and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjaminites. Remember, Saul is a Benjaminite. So this is the people of his tribe. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me or showeth unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie and wait as this day? So Saul has gotten very paranoid at this point. He doesn't trust the people of his own tribe because his son, Jonathan, is best friends with the person that he now views as his enemy, is afraid of, wants to kill. And so he is angry with his entire tribe, apparently, and does not trust them. And, of course, it will end up being someone who's not from his tribe, who's not even from the nation of Israel, who will, out of his ambition and wickedness, put Saul over doing obedience to Saul and pleasing Saul above doing what is right, even when none of the Benjaminites and none of the other Israelites that are with Saul are willing to do so, as we'll see in the following verses. Verse 9, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was sent over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him his victuals, and gave him a sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now remember, David told told Ahimelech, the priest, that he was on a mission from Saul. Of course, that's not true. So Ahimelech is completely innocent here. He didn't do anything wrong. He helped David, who was supposedly on a mission for King Saul, a secret mission that requires haste. He gave him food. He inquired of God for him and gave him a weapon so he could complete his mission. But Saul is not going to see it that way. Because, of course, David did misrepresent the situation to Ahimelech. Verse 11. 
Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here am I, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou in uh, the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, and said, who is so faithful? Notice that Ahimelech doesn't just make, a, doesn't try to make an excuse here and say, well, I, I didn't know. I, I thought I was obeying you. He said he was on a mission for you. Notice he stands up for David against the wicked King Saul. Verse 14. Then Ahimelech answered and said, who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? And I then began to inquire for God for did I then begin to inquire for God for him? Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto thy, his servant, nor all the house of my father, for thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. So he does admit, you know, I didn't know anything. But he stands up for David and the character of David to Saul is that no, David wouldn't do anything wrong. Verse 16, and king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech. Thou and all thy father's house. And, and Saul doesn't even care that Ahimelech says he didn't know anything about what David's was, was mission was. Verse 17, And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. And that's actually untrue. They did not know that he was fleeing from Saul. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, Turn now and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and fell upon the priests and slew on that day fourscore and five persons. All right, the math on that would be 85. Thank you, Bernie. <laughs> 85 persons that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar showed to David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abathar, I knew, it, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. Be with me, thou shalt, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. So you see David here feels genuine regret. He, he realizes he is the one that caused, you know, he did not order the execution or commit the execution, but he does feel responsible for putting uh, Ahimelech in that situation. And so we see here there are consequences. Now, the consequences for Saul and Doeg, they're not in this passage, but you see the consequences David, when he didn't do the right thing in the face of the risk and danger there were consequences for someone else, Ahimelech. And you see, though, Ahimelech, 
does what is right. He helps David in the early opening verses of 21. And he stands up for David's character to Saul. And it's completely innocent. And yet, it costs him his life. Doing what is right caused Ahimelech his life. And then you have uh, David also in the case of, in the second situation, God does deliver him, and David gives God the glory for that. Psalm 52, just want to call out your attention that we can't really read it, but Psalm 52, if you go to Psalm 52, we'll just read the inscription above it like we did for Psalm 34. And if you, if you want to look at that later, uh, this is a little bit more description about Edom, uh, the Edomite Doeg. 52 talks about God's judgment and grace. It says to the chief musician, Masculine, a psalm of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. And so in that psalm, David goes on and speaks of, of Doeg. Why boastest thyself in mischief, O mighty man, and goodness of God endureth continually? The tongue devises mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. So he speaks, has some things to say about him in that passage. All right, let's end there. In, in Samuel 21 and 22 now, we've seen four situations, four dangerous and deadly times faced by David and those who aided him. We saw, in the case of Ahimelech, providing aid to David and then later standing up to Saul for David, doing what was right at the cost, even at the risk of his life. Even though he didn't even know it the first time, he, he did what was right. It did cost him his life. David, he does what is right in that case of Gad telling him to leave his safe hold and go back to Judah. He does that, and he still... Um, trusting God to save him, as we see in the Psalms. But, you know, he, 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 there are consequences for when he did something that was not right. You know, God did save David in spite of himself with the Philistines when he pretended to be insane. He's merciful. And, and there's, there's an example for us that some, we're not perfect. David was not perfect. When we mess up, God is merciful. Let's turn back to God and do what's right when we're told what to do. David may have messed up by going to Moab, but when he was told to leave Moab and go back to Judah, he obeys. And let's do what's right, even in the face of danger and possible death for God. Any, any comments, any questions?